Live. All right, everybody. Tonight, today, right now, it is Saturday, April the 1st, 2017. April Fools, except I don't have any April Fools for you. Maybe Monty will. So, Monty, what have you got for us? Well, my success story is I spent the last several months on a case here locally setting a guy up. It was especially made difficult because the guy's basically a criminal and the local sheriff's office and the local prosecutor, for whatever reason, have been protecting him. So I had to set this up in a way that put the sheriff and the prosecutor in a box so they don't have any choice. And the first step of that was to get this guy's quiet title suit dismissed with prejudice. And that's exactly what occurred. So step one is done, and it's out of the way. Now I can now I have an open door to force the prosecutor to do his job, and uh, through him, force the sheriff to do his. All right, fabulous. I love to hear it. And by that, what I mean is, I'm going to force them because if they don't, I'll either take them out of office or put them in prison. And I believe you would. Um, <clears throat> well, those of you who have known me a long time have said that I they do not know me to ever not do what I say I'm going to do. Wow. <laughs> well, remember that. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, I want to see you uh, get this thing all the way through. Yeah, so do I. Mostly it's restraining my patience. Like I said, it's taken a number of months to get this thing worked into position the way it should be. That's only it, only, it took that long because I was working against people that are supposed to be working with me. Sure. Like the sheriff and the prosecutor. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Now, are there any um, particular lessons from this that you wanted to share, like how you got the case dismissed or whatever? Well, you know, somebody asked me this last week, how is it that you are where you are? How is it you know what you know? that you're able to do these things. So what I thought I'd do is share a little bit of my own, just a small portion of my philosophy. And it is relevant to many of the things that I've talked about on this show. I'm going to start off with three of my favorite uh, quotable quotes. I, I don't know that I can claim to be the source of them, but I have my own way of saying them. The first one is, the whole truth has nothing to gain through compromise. The deceptive half-truth has everything to gain by it. Wow. The second one is, the art of half-truths 
is an acquired skill and one which every politician and every bar maggot must cultivate in order to survive. And the third one is a little bit broader, but it's more basic. The greatest threat to civilized society is the unrestrained dissemination of deceptive half-truths. But the deadliest enemy to personal survival and self-preservation is self-deception. Ouch. A lot of that going around. Now, for the rest of this, um, I'll go through it. It won't take long, but I'll go through it slowly because it requires some pretty deep thought. Um, any, Any attempt to understand a man's virtues without understanding his faults and weaknesses is to attempt to see uh, is to attempt seeing truth without knowing falsehood. It is the attempt to see the light without knowing darkness. It simply cannot be. What you do not know especially as a matter of personal volition makes you vulnerable to those of evil intent and can kill you. It would be suicidal lunacy to deny that all of mankind's culture, civilizations, and political and religious constructs are an emergent outgrowth of a dispassionate, hostile, survival-oriented environment where life is ruled right down to the cellular level by the primordial paradigm of quote-unquote law of the jungle or eat or be eaten or survival of the fittest. It still lingers in the very nature of all living things on this planet, including mankind, more so in, in some than others no matter how distasteful that thought might be. Black is a blind remembering. You listen for pack sounds, for the cries of those who hunted your ancestors in a past so ancient. Only your most primitive selves can remember. The ears see, the nostrils the the sixth sense extends beyond ordinary limits. Mankind has thus far survived best in a challenging environment. In the absence of adversity, there is no growth. There is no means by which to accurately test the true limits of your ability or determine the scope of your capabilities. Those who habitually acquiesce to the temptation choose a clear 
safe course for their life are doomed to a life of stagnation and decay, not growth. It is the price of most forms of quote-unquote security. The first and perhaps the most difficult thing, and this one, I want to really stress this one. The first and perhaps the most difficult thing for a man to acquire is the knowledge of how to learn. And the first lesson of all is the basic trust in himself he can learn. It's shocking to find how many people do not believe they can learn and how many more believe learning to be difficult. Those who perpetually squander their time, attention, and energy on becoming unavoidably place the object of their focus always just beyond their reach and thereby sabotage their own inborn ability to simply be. Unreal daydreaming without a practical plan and the actions necessary to implement it is the source of most frustrations and disappointments of a man's ambitions. Respect for the truth comes close to being the basis for all morality. Something cannot emerge from nothing. It must be created. This is profound thinking if you understand how unstable the truth can be when and where the potential for creation is present. Self-discipline may be defined as the self-imposed delay between desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing. It may also be defined as an exercise of restraint while determining the possible and probable consequences of a contemplated act of commission or omission. I think I'll end off there. Yeah, that's pretty deep. Yeah, requires some thought. Anyway, that's what's behind uh, who I am, where I am, what I am. Wow. So does that mean you've been kidding yourself? No, (laughs) but it's also very demonstrative of Mm. the fact that it's not just me. That applies to anyone. That's right. It kind of goes back to a great many other things, like the will to succeed, the will to learn, the will to do, the will to have. It's called choices. You know, you can... There's another way to express that. You can either go through life first class or you can go coach. And the choice is yours. No one else. Wow.
And by that, I don't mean to impose a, some kind of measure on personal wealth. Right. It's a matter of how you measure your wealth. My wealth is in what I know and that I'm certain that I know. In terms of material wealth, in terms of material wealth, that really doesn't interest me. I can have it or I can take it or leave it. I've never been without money in my life. But that's mainly because I don't have any attention on it. It's just there. Something to be said for that. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you know, what you resist is what you get. And by that, what I mean by that is if you have your attention focused so tightly on chasing the buck or on acquiring wealth or money or whatever, um, you don't have any you don't have any attention left over for anything else. So in a sense, it consumes you. So my abilities to deal with people, to deal with courts, to deal with bar maggots, because I have a very broad attention span and a willingness to learn and a desire. I have an insatiable curiosity. I want to learn everything I can learn. And after a time, as you acquire more and more knowledge, and this is true of dictionaries, the more you use them, (laughs) the less you have to use them because your vocabulary gets so large, there's very seldom a need. But at first, it seems like it's a lot of work. And it is, I suppose. What was that saying? I fell in love with dictionaries and, and have what ever since? I've never been the same since. <laughs> never been the same. Anyway, I'm going to end off there. Anybody have questions or success stories or whatever? Arizona John, how about you? Well, I agree completely, and I think we have a culture that if a person has a lot of money, they're automatically good and like perfect and saint-like, and actually they can be some of the most wicked, a person that has no money is immediately judged by all society, especially bankers, realtors, and courts as being horrible, and yet the person with no money may have the best loving heart and do the most good on the planet, and yet they're always persecuted, and it's time to change it. Okay. Um, by the way, I don't think I put this on the website tab. There's a, well, this goes back a few years. There was an article written by um, Nexus Magazine about the Montana Freeman. Okay. Are you familiar with them? Heard of them, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of them. Okay, well, the Montana Freeman was, were headed up there was, they didn't really have a leader. I suppose the one that came the closest was Leroy Schweitzer. Um, I spent some time with him over in the Mon- at the Montana Ranch. 
I even helped Leroy write some paper. We did have some disagreements on some things. Um, disagreement being was he was trying to teach people the sovereign angle from the standpoint that we're all kings and queens in this country. But he was basing his premises on the Magna Carta. And I, I never could get across to him that the Magna Carta was written as a restraint on the king. So he was, you know, his premises. But I will say this: this article, I can send it to you, send it up to you to put on the, uh, to put for posting. But that'd be great. It's about a six and a half page article. That you wrote? uh, No. Okay. It was written by Nexus Magazine about Montana Freeman and what they were doing. And I'm fairly well familiar with what they were doing. Uh, it does get into the a lot of the more radical stuff on disconnecting from the system and writing your own paper, creating your own credit, da da da. Uh, and they had it pretty well figured out, and they were succeeding with it. That's why they got nailed. They were threatening the status quo, um, and they were doing it correctly. Um, <clears throat> And this article goes into that. I guess probably the way to, way to summarize one part of that is you do understand that it's the creation of credit of any kind. Creation of credit cannot function, it cannot work unless you base it on the lean process. You have to have something to back it. Right. And that's why you have a statute or an ordinance in the counties that say that, um, or it's in your uh, paperwork when you buy a piece of property, but there'll be a statute of some kind that says that by doing a certain act, it creates a lien by the county. So what they're doing is well, what they're doing is they're creating credit, or you are. What the Montana Freeman were doing was reversing the process, but they were not violating the process. Lean process works in any direction. (laughs) If you do it correctly. So. They were uh, creating the credit properly. Um, say a guy got a a bill and a lien from the IRS for ten thousand. They would reverse that and create a lien for twenty thousand against the IRS. Send it in as a form of payment. I'm oversimplifying this, but uh, sure. it sent it in as a form of payment. And not only did the uh, IRS uh, zero out the account, they send them back to difference. Ooh. Uh. Oh, no wonder they got nailed. Yeah. They were doing it with county taxes. They were doing it all kinds of stuff. And when they did it with, like, businesses, you know, buy a $100,000 combine, 
uh, they would pay them with their own paper, correctly created, their own credit instruments, <laughs> done in the right way. And uh, when the distributor or dealer deposited that in his bank, it cleared. Whoa. So all, all the bad black PR that they put in the papers, what was really going on there was they were exposing the um, local corruption uh, drugs in the schools and stuff like that. <coughs> because they they launder their money through the same process. Right. Anyway, uh, that's what got them nailed because they, if they confined it to just themselves, it probably wouldn't have amounted to anything. But, but what they were doing was catching on all over the country. And, you know, I don't think it's hard to understand why. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And so that's why they got nailed. And they were thrown in... Leroy Schweitzer never did get a trial. He died in prison, but he never did oh. get a trial. So that's why I caution people, yeah, you can do this kind of stuff, and it does work, but um, it has some pretty heavy consequences if you get carried away with it. I understand that's what happened to Gordon Hall. He was doing something quite similar. Yes, he was. And he was going to the bank with it, which I didn't know anything about, not until recently. So I can Another see guy. Uh, Dale, I can't remember his last name now. His first name was Dale. He wrote a booklet called uh, "Bashed by the Bankers." He was out of Colorado. He was been, he monetized his ranch, started issuing his own script, and uh, they nailed. They went through the sheriff with him, and sheriff and his deputies went out and beat, just damn near beat him to death. They oh. would have. They would have beat him to death if if the neighbors hadn't been watching. So, um, I think I just answered a lot of questions about people who have wondered about that those kind of processes that even touches a little bit on Winston Schrock and his material. Right. So, um, all I'm saying is, I'm not saying it doesn't work, I'm just saying you need to be very damn careful how you use it. Well, you know, it's like I get people that call me up all the time. Well, I need to do my UCC and this, that, and the other. And, uh, the UCC and, uh, is part of the lien process. It has been it, for a number of years. It is, but what I tell people is I've yet to see this stuff work for the average person. There's a few people it does work for. Winston would be one of them. But for the uh, average person, huh? Yeah. Well, the average person hasn't boned up or studied up enough on it. Exactly. They generally, generally make mistakes, and those are, are mistakes that hurt. They have consequences. And, you know, I just tell them, you know, but these guys, they're like masters with what they do. I mean, they are, you know, they have studied this stuff so well. And, you know, people listen to conference calls and stuff, and they think that they've studied, but they haven't. No. The study is when you crack open those dry, large, fat law books and you start going through them. Your eyes start watering and glazing over. 
Not so much law books as cracking open the dictionary. If you don't know the word, you can't sing a tune. Okay. <laughs> it's true. So, which is one reason why I kind of like what you're doing. Because it cuts through all the crap. It's quite simple. Well, it's it's a blend of a lot of different areas of study. I mean, how we started this show tonight on philosophy. <laughs> By the way, uh, somebody put in the uh, in the chat uh, something about you know, well, if if it works well for Winston, if that's what it means, then uh, oh, if if working well for Winston means being indicted, then he's doing quite well. And I would refer that person to my previous conference calls. I got two of them with Winston where he talks about that. Right. So he that was actually a calculated move on his part. Right. Um, sometimes you have to, what I call, sucker punch the adversary. The outward appearances, it looks like you've been... Uh, uh, caught at your own game when in fact that's part of the strategy remember tactical is the immediate strategy is the long term plan of how you're going to win the war oh interesting tactical is how you win a battle and no battle plan ever survives contact with the enemy <laughs> yeah, they always change, don't they? Yeah. So you have to be flexible enough to handle the changes that occur. And that can be affected by your overall strategy. There's three things you need to win a war. You need strategy, tactical, and logistics. Okay. Yeah, I guess you would know, huh? Yeah, I do know very well. <laughs> <laughs> I do know. And I'm not ashamed of knowing what I know. Well, excellent. Um, because it didn't come to me free of charge. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you work for it. All right, so does anybody else have any questions or comments? Hit star eight on your phone. That means you too, Genevieve. I know you're there. I see you. Oh, great. We get Genevieve tonight? Well, we'll see. Depends on if she calls in or not. I was just going to say something in harmony with Monty. What The reason they don't want anyone to create their own paper is because that they have a monopoly on it. The banks take a property, put out $150,000, and end up making two to four million trading it repeatedly. And of course, they don't. You can pay them 150,000, and they'll still foreclose on your property, even though they've made two to four million dollars on it over a period of ten years. So it's a. Uh, they don't want anybody messing with that. Well, of course not. If you were them, would you? Well, I have a different heart than them. I couldn't be them. 
Yeah. Well, if you can't, if you can't, for the sake of understanding something, like I just said in my little philosophy speech, um, you can't define something unless you know both sides of it, the light side and the dark side. Exactly. And my, one of my, um, the reason I have the ability to handle bar maggots in open court so well is because I have, I, I do listen to what they're saying and I have the ability to look at something from their point of view. I don't agree with it, but I can look at it from their point of view. In other words, if you're going to play chess, if you want to win, you have to play both sides of the board. Yep. Play one side of the board, you're going to lose. Most often. Well, well, well. Guess who's here? It's making my jam tart go pity fat. <laughs> oh, come on, Jenna. Come on, Genevieve. There you go. Go ahead. Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was waiting for the... Okay. Well, howdy. <laughs> well, howdy, folks. Oh, boy. I'm being adult tonight. <laughs> well, you know, Monty, listening to what you uh, were reading about your approach or your philosophy... I found that what's most difficult, it's not learning, it's unlearning. Do you find that to be true at all? Well, that has to be preceded by the, a realization that there's some things you don't know that you thought you did. <laughs> well, that's easy. I definitely know I don't know. <laughs> if you can't get past that, you can't learn. Yeah. That's the first thing a teacher has to teach youngsters in school, is that there's something there to actually learn and that they don't know it and create a desire to want to know it. That's the teacher's job, first and foremost. Well, i got to say, I think you're a really good teacher. Are <laughs> oh, you going to make me blush? <laughs> oh, send me a picture. <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was interesting to hear about the Montana Freeman. Yeah. Right. So you were you were a bit involved with him. Hell, I helped Leroy write some paper while I was at the ranch. Yeah. That was before they got raided. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you got out early. Well, it would have probably developed into something a hell of a lot more serious if I'd been there. Uh, what, what does that mean? What are you implying? <laughs> yeah. Because, because I don't surrender. Oh. That doesn't sound good. Or does it? Well, it would have been bad for us, huh, Tad? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> what was the basis of the of the lean? For You gave that example of they were writing, they got a a lien placed on them by the IRS. No, they were using the lien process to create credit. Well, I'd like to lean up Genevieve and see if I can cash it in for credit. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> I wish you see, all the best. See if I can buy a candy bar with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so 
So how how does that work, though? I, I don't really... Would you mind explaining that a little bit more? I'd rather not because it'd take too long. Oh, okay. Uh, what I'll do is uh, I'll... I have this thing that was written by Nexus. They do a pretty good job of it, of outlining it. So what I'll do is I'll just put that out so people can access it. Okay, great. Uh, that, that, and then did you ever find anything, uh, that article by Ralph Winterrode? No, I looked. I couldn't find it. All right, I'll see if I can find it for you. Oh, oh, don't. Uh, d- please don't. I mean, unless it's uh, unless it's relatively simple for you, don't. I've I've been looking at the land patent process quite a bit and uh, input from a variety of areas and um and I think I don't need to I don't think I need to read Ralph's um article. So, but if you can find it, I'd be interested. <laughs> why don't you just why don't you just give it to me, Molly, and I'll put you it know, in the member section. You know, my the the disclaimer took more time than the uh okay. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, trying to be respectful of your time. So that I want you to know that I'm you know, I'm not dependent on it. I'm gonna move forward with or without it. Good for you. So <laughs> So if you can find it easily, I would I would be glad to see it. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you ever do any of the secured party process? <laughs> Only when I'm uh, putting an, an attorney in a bad way. So hmm. there's a, a Supreme Court rule in Idaho, and I'm quite sure you'll find it in other states. And there's a reason for that. An attorney cannot stand as surety for his, his uh, client. It's in the rules of the court. Um, is okay, that a so conflict what, of interest or something? That's explain, part of it. Explain to us what that means. Um, well, this case that I just got dismissed, um, the attorney... Uh, put into the court. Oh, by the way, did you know that under the rules of evidence, uh, an attorney cannot put evidence into a case? Whoa. Yeah, I think you actually mentioned that sometime in the past. Right. Well, he can't stand a surety on it either. And uh, the way we did that in this case here was uh, he, uh, the attorney speaking for the his client who was there with him, said, my client has no money. And the court was ordering him to pay a certain amount per month for sanctions imposed, which we helped out with. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the judge came back to the attorney. He was playing with the attorney. When they get a chance, they do. (laughs) He was was playing with the attorney. He says, well, maybe uh, you can... uh, Oh no, we were, they were talking about mediation, which we, I I killed that real quick. But we were talking about mediation, which you, you know the parties have to pay for. And he'd already said that his client didn't have any money, so um, and the guy I'm helping said, "Well, I'm not going to pay for his suit. I'm under no legal contract or, or moral obligation to finance his suit for him." 
and uh, the judge asked the attorney, he says, uh, would, would you care to cover the cost for him on the mediation? And the attorney <laughs> got real humble, and he says, I don't think I would be comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> but that rule is why. Because so what happens is, if they stand this surety, it changes their, for one, it does away with the attorney-client relationship. They become a party with whomever they're representing because they have an interest in the case now. Yeah. That's why they have a conflict of interest. Yeah, I do remember you saying that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. Okay. Can you remember it? Remember what? That's what I just said. <laughs> oh. Well, moving right along here. All right. <laughs> okay, so um okay, now back down to a real question <laughs> that concerns right. what I've asked you before. You remember I mentioned uh, the best friend uh, document or notice that I came up with um, so that if I were to go into a hospital or something, that David would be able to go in because he's my best friend. And you suggested uh, in in the text to say that he is to be considered uh, uh, an adopted member of my family, which I think was a great suggestion, adding adopted. And well, so, you want to be careful with that because adoption usually requires a court order. Well, is there another way to say it then? Well, you can try the common law side and, and just do a document that says that and have three other persons sign it Okay, so they're witnessing that this is my my will, basically. Exactly. Okay. In other words, it goes back to the biblical thing in Matthew, I believe. Two or three witnesses establishes a fact. So the the question about that then is, do I need to put that... Um, into a county record or something like that, or just have it? Well, no. What he wants to... Well, you could. That would give it more um, for more power to record it. Um, they'd probably want to know what they would record it under. And you could say, well, put it in your index where you file your uh, notice of uh, appointment of power of attorney, attorney in fact whatever and then you once it's recorded then you give David a copy of it so that if anything does happen he has something he can show them okay Um, could she also set up a foundation Um, well she could but why would she want to the idea here is to keep this the idea is to keep this as simple as possible. Well, true. If, if she did it this this way, it would be so simple. But if then somebody was trying to contest it, you were saying the other day not to do trust, 
but to do foundations. Is that correct? No, I never said that. Oh, must have. That's that's the Bob Schaefer thing. <laughs> well, it is. I have never said that, nor would I say it. <laughs> well, do you like trust? Uh, no, no, but they're margin. I, in my opinion, no, but in my opinion, they're marginally better than uh, foundations. Okay. Regarding um, stuff like this. The reason um, that I've heard from Bob Schaefer that a foundation is good is because it protects uh, your property. So if you put uh, certain of your property uh, into a foundation, um, see, I really don't remember that much about it, but somehow it protects the property should you, for example, um, damage somebody else, and they can't come at you and take your your house, for example, because that house is in a foundation. And I'm wondering about diverting this to land patents. Why would you want to do that? <clears throat> I, no, I wouldn't want to put a land patent into a foundation, but what I'm wondering is about the protection that a land patent might afford me if I were to damage someone. And and are you are you planning on damaging anyone? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, unless come, somebody pisses come me clean, off. Come Genevieve. Come on. <laughs> I have uh, I have found the best protection for your property is um, either uh, Ruger or Smith and Wesson. <laughs> is what? Winchester Brown. <laughs> Oh. Judge uh, Sheriff Winchester and Judge Cole. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how about insurance instead? <laughs> In today's world, not uh-huh. too many people care for that court. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> but can you answer that question? I just did. I thought In I did. In another way? Um, Okay. Um, Well, if you post your property, then you're protected. If I post it... No trespass. No trespass. So if I, let's say, run into some, another car with my car, and... Oh, you're talking about mobile property now. Well, you don't—that's not your car anyway. That belongs to the state. Well, not anymore. I, th- I think I think what she's saying is, if she injures someone, how does she protect her property from lawsuits? Well said, Tad. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the best thing I can recommend on that is check your state statutes, and I know for a fact that Oregon has them. Um, check the state statutes on self-insurance. Well, if I, I see, and then, I, and and then, if you want somebody, if they want to make a claim and take you to court and whatever to uh, obtain your property, 
Write him a promissory note. Well, that's no that's no different than handing them a bunch of Federal Reserve notes. Now, are you now? I know you've mentioned this before, but this kind of promissory notes and that kind of stuff, I have no real comprehension of them. So, it, do you have a format for a promissory note, or how that whole process works? Um, yeah. Would you be willing to share that with us? No. <laughs> well, the, the Oregon Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Genevieve, a lot of this stuff is available on the internet. Yeah, but I don't trust the internet. I trust you. <laughs> well, that's your well, first I'm, mistake. <laughs> I'm hugely complimented, but where do you think I dig up a lot of the? Um, material myself, because remember this, I understand the basics of law, and I understand the way it should be, but that's not necessarily what's existing now. So what I have to do is I have to work out the interface between the way it should be and the way it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I do. Um... Okay. So, in other words, I've had to figure out how to to use Coerento through their precious statutes. I have done that, but it took a bit of research on how to go about it because they can't see Coerento. But they can see. It's in their rules. It's in their statutes. They can see a writ of mandamus. So if I do a writ of mandamus um, according to their rules and according to their statutes and make it a uh, mandamus in the nature of a Coerento, it works the same way. And they can't sidestep it. Well, these things that we've been talking about, same thing. Um, Do you understand the... Well, again, you you just have to look it up in the dictionaries. You have to go online and and check it out. Um, Many of the articles that you'll find uh, put out by Cornell um, and uh, some of the other law websites are, uh, as far as the how-to, sometimes they're a bit lacking on that, but it does tell you what what the law says, what the rules say, and there is some commentary on what the courts will accept and what they won't accept. So from that, you can develop your your battle plan. So if I were to... Uh, for example, go to Cornell Law and read their articles on promissory notes. That or would be... there, there's a number of other sites besides that. Okay. And, and then, and... If you, did you say you have a law dictionary? No, only on the Internet. Oh. <laughs> okay, well... Um, you you can get them real cheap at Smith Family Bookstore in Eugene. Are you trying to lure me over there? No, I'm just telling you where to get a cheap one. Are <laughs> you telling me where to go? Not, but it may not be very cheap by the time you get here, but spending all the gas and tickets and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think you shot that right over his head, Genevieve. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... We must remember this is April Fool's Day. 
Yeah, it's my day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. So, well, maybe, maybe one day or one evening, I should say, you could, you could talk about promissory notes and help help explain it to us all. I I doubt that I'm the only one who'd be interested. Right, everybody. Promissory notes just a fancy way of saying that I taking a piece of paper and writing I O U capital I period capital O period capital U period. Uh, put a date on it I O U and put a name on it whoever you owe and, and then an amount and sign it. And then got, what what I've would they do template. with that? I got a template for you if you want, Genevieve. <laughs> It's actually very simple. It looks just like a check, but it doesn't have the routing numbers or anything. It's just pay to the order of blah, 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 blah. Uh, you write it out and, and all that stuff. Routing and, and numbers? See, what routing What routing number? There are no routing oh, no. numbers on the promissory note, but a check has routing numbers on the bottom. And then what would that person do with that promissory note? Who cares? Well, who cares? Yeah, but it, I it, do. Satisfi- it satisfies your obligation. If if they're trying to sue you, you say you send them a promissory note. By law, that satisfies the obligation. They can't come after you. If they do, they're coming with unclean hands. You can now counter sue them. It doesn't pay the debt. It just does away with the obligation. Yeah, but that how do, how is that helpful to the other person? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> Uh, why do you, why do you think the bankers use it? Well, can you suggest uh, an instrument that would be helpful to the other person? Other than about, you know, I'm talking an instrument, not gold and silver. Okay, a check. That's an instrument. Write him a check. Yeah, but then you go to prison. No, you don't. Yeah. You write him a check. Oh, you don't have the money. Well, I guess we're back to promissory notes. A county attorney here in Arizona really is pretty heavy on bounce checks. Mm-hmm. I didn't say write a bounce check. Oh. Nor did I imply it. She says, well, what do you do to help the other side? Well, write a check. Oh, but I don't have any money. Oh, well, you're back to a promissory note, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, well, well, now, okay, now hold on, hold on. So, Monty, how about this? How about if somebody sues you? They get a judgment, and then you take the promissory note to the clerk court slash court administrator and then have them monetize it and pay the other side. Well, it's a, there's a bit more to that than that. That's where I think you should read the article by the, on the Montana Freeman. Okay. I could tell an experience about a promissory note. Would you all like to hear it? That's up to her. go ahead okay all right i had a realtor who i'd known for years and they turned out to be corrupt and they pretended to be my friend and everything else um i got a loan on a piece of property on a mortgage then the realtor had produced a hundred and fifty thousand dollar promissory note Come due in three months, had all the identification on it, names, phone numbers, everything. And the deal was that she would take 50000 from me 
and return 150000 to me. And I made a mistake. It was many years ago. It would never happen now. And then after that, that realtor skipped out, and we tried federal lawsuits. We went to the courts. We tried everything you can think of, even detectives, and can't find her. She, she literally disappeared for fifty grand, which, of course, has hurt me terribly, but that's what a promissory note can do. And then you try to go use it in the courts, and no, and they just say, oh, well, that's too bad. Call this person, call that person, and nobody does anything. Okay. There's one example. Okay, so wait a minute. I'm not I'm not recommending this as a solution. I'm just saying that it's there. No, I, I understand, but the point I'm saying is I had a person do it to me and I was never able to collect and no and the courts, lawyers and police did nothing. It's abject fraud. So okay, wait, 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 wait. You gave her fifty thousand dollars. Right? Yeah. And then she gave you a promissory note. Right? That was twelve that was twelve years ago and I've learned so much more about law I can't even believe I'm not the same guy. Russell. Okay. Well all right, well that's kinda of how it works. Well the reason the courts and the police and stuff won't do anything about it because you're involving contract law and they have no authority to interfere with your ability your right to contract. Well, we put took it into court to to dispute that contract and uh, filed lawsuits and never could get anywhere. Couldn't serve her. It, yeah, you couldn't serve her. The court can't proceed unless all parties are present. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but you know, sure. I mean. Oh. That was an expensive lesson, but it was a lesson if you can look at it that way. Uh, yeah, I've learned a lot Yeah. through the last 12 years, trust me. Bob Schaefer taught me a lot. And by the way, thank you for the uh, telling about the memorial service. I'd already talked to his brother, and I'm planning on flying over. I'm going to be there Thursday. Good for you. I wish I could go. Well, he used to stay with me, and I cook, I cooked a lot of meals for Bob, and I miss him, and it's just like a hole in my... Well, when you see his brother, you're going to freak out. I know. He looks just like him. He's twins. <laughs> yeah, identical from what I remember. I'll have to, I have to keep my logic in check. <laughs> He'll look like Bob, but he's not going to act like Bob. No, I know. He doesn't know what Bob knows, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he knows how to stay out of trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Bob was looking for trouble, it sounds to me. <laughs> he had a good time. <laughs> yeah, I think it had a way of finding him. Well, since I I have um, my appearance, that's why I don't allow pictures, because uh, my appearance is somewhere between Smeagol and Yoda, so... Who's Sneagol? Um, <laughs> Who is Sneagol? You ever uh, watched Lord of, Lord of the Rings? No, I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> How do you spell Sneagol? <laughs> Who cares? 
Are you talking Seagal? Steven Seagal? No, no Sneagol. <laughs> Brad, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was in Lord of the Rings. Oh, oh, that's not good. Sneagol is the the guy that was just a normal guy until he found the ring, and then it turned him into this little um, little strands of hair. He was one of the main characters. And I got my ears from Yoda, so that's why I don't (laughs) like pictures. (laughs) Harry Potter. I think uh, I think I'm going to uh, to sign off at this moment. Well, that's the end of the show, folks. No. <laughs> well, then I'll stay on, but I don't. I have, I didn't have enough time to really get. This was one crazy crazy week. <laughs> so I don't really. Well, I could ask one question. One more question. All right. Well, All right. Only um, one. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. Who's counting, right? Um, okay. So, regarding the land patent, mm-hmm. I, looking at my document, it's a it's a it's a homestead. It's based on a homestead rather than being called a land patent. Does that make any difference? Is there a number on it? Yeah. Is there any other designation with that number? Um, no. Let's see. It just says homestead certificate number and application number, and that's it. Okay. So that number says it's a homestead, and that was created. It's probably in the body of the of the patent itself that it is um, created under an act of Congress and it's signed by a president. Yes. That's a land patent. Oh, okay, but it's under the Homestead Act, huh? Yeah. Okay. In other words, um, only Congress has the authority to release property in the trust of the... the care and keeping and trust of the United States, and then that has to be confirmed by the, the president's signature. Every single patent, whether it's mineral or ha- homestead or whatever, will have a president's signature on it because they're ceding land. They're ceding land. I've seen uh, an exception right here in Oregon. Really? Who, who signed it? It was a land patent issued by BLM. Was that recent? Uh, About no, 50, 60 years ago, maybe. Was that a land swap? I don't know. It was probably uh, was. If it was a land swap, they can do that. They can trade some land they don't want for land that you have that they do want. So they just switch the patents. I think they have the authority to do that. Okay. A lot of the it's, early ranch, a lot of the early ranches were built up that way, and uh, you know the the BLM would swap land 
for the land office would swap land with them for their patented land, and it worked out well for both the parties. So I think in that case, they they simply issued their own patent. Well, it's in southeast Oregon. Uh, you okay. can find it on the uh, GLO website. Yeah, southeast Oregon, there was a lot of land swapping going on. Man, whoever came up with that way of doing things screwed things up royally. It's like a checkerboard, and none of the pieces can... You can't get to one without crossing the other. BLM is in one, private is in the other. You have to cross BLM land to get to the private. You have to cross private to get to the BLM land. It's just insane. And nobody wants you crossing it. I know. So maybe do a land swap with BLM and say, hey, I'll take one of your checkerboard pieces. Right. Well, you know, a very similar situation occurred uh, with all the railroad lands in Washington State. And I think there's even some in Western Oregon. Every other section was railroad. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah, Southeast Oregon, that was the the O&C Railroad. It was, oh, it was funny. I got to tell you this. I read the land patent for that, and they, you know, it goes on forever because it's it's uh, listing all the parcels of land from Eugene down to the Southeast Oregon. It just goes on and on and on. But what's funny is the way that they referred to Eugene. They didn't refer to it as city of Eugene. They referred to it as Eugene City. Right. I know of a number, like, uh, for years, uh, it was the city of Baker, Oregon, and then they changed it to Baker City. And that wasn't done that long ago. And that is because the new entity in bankruptcy or something? Probably. I haven't researched it, but it's more than likely. Okay. I don't really care. (laughs) All I care about is whether these people are under an oath. Because without the oath, they have no authority. And if they're under oath, I expect certain things from them. Right. And the oath has to be consistent with the one in the constitutions. And if it's not, well, we're authorized by statute by the uh, legislature of Oregon. Sorry, doesn't cut it. All right. I got another question. No, you don't. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Okay. Um, It looks like my my land was... Initially, uh, on a homestead land patent, and that eventually, I haven't, te- I haven't researched, the, I couldn't research the records this week. So, but it seems that, from what I've already discovered, that that after the land patent was taken out or received, then um, then eventually, some speculator, land speculator bought some of it and then another land speculator bought some of it and then they eventually uh 
divvied it up, and somebody where my little lot is was had a warranty deed, and for the consideration of ten dollars. Well, you should you should count yourself lucky that it's that simple. The uh, people down in Southern California have the additional factor of the Spanish land grants to deal with. Ooh. Right. Yeah. That's what Bob Schaefer was talking about all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Treaty of Hidalgo, Guadalupe. There you go. And, in fact, those are powerful because uh, what Bob said, what, what they're called ranches, and the police tell their people, don't go in those ranches. Hmm. <laughs> well, well, my name mostly, mostly because of Bob. <laughs> you know, His it's like if you, put your, if you take your car to take a police car to a rancho, it's not coming out. <laughs> well, I do, I do agree that it it does seem simple, and I'm wondering do do I do you think that I need to search to see if there ever was a deed of trust on it? Well, more than likely you're going to find one because, like I, I said last week, when it transfers through a um, title insurance company, um, it's transferred to the title insurance company under a deed of trust, and then they reconvey it under a warranty deed. In other words, um, somebody has to hold the title on that property, whether it's in transit or not. While it's in transit, it's in trust, and that trust is usually the uh, title company. So what if I if I okay? So let's say that at some point the uh, title company did hold it in a deed of trust. Right. But they have since uh, I don't know ceded it to me, for example. Saying that the title is good and there there are no encumbrances, so right. But they didn't they didn't transfer the balance of the interest in the title itself. That gets into the stuff that Ralph Winterrook was talking about. Oh. Yeah, you have to get them to release their interest in that title. Now, if I if I ignored that and tried to do and just went ahead and set out to do my my uh bring my bringing forward of the land pat my accepting it and did the public notice then then they would have to dispute that but i've also found out that apparently the i would be the main one who have interest in the property because i'm the one who paid taxes for the previous ten years, and I'm the one who lived on the land for ten years. And that's well, now, now you're getting into adverse possession. That's a different subject matter. So, if I go into the land records at the county, don't you love it when you ask me questions? I just keep bringing up other areas of law. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not so fond of you. <laughs> so if I go if I go into the land records and find out that there was a deed of trust, what do I do with that information? I, I guess I well, don't quite who, get that. 
All right. Who um, the deed of trust would have been done when it went from the previous owner to the title company in a conveyance. Okay. And then the and then the title company, when the property was when the transaction was concluded and the purchase made, then the title company would issue a warranty deed warranting the uh, clear title. They couldn't do that unless they can prove it. Um, but they don't release their interest in the property through the trustee. In other words, they're not conveying, if you think about it, they're not conveying their interest in the title. They're simply warranty, giving you a warranty that the title is good. And then what do I do? You you challenge him. You say, I want a release. <clears throat> I want a formal release on your interest in the title of this property. And I would have to do that with any title company that handled this property? Yep. Okay. Ooh, and I had another question brewing while you were talking. Well, you know, it doesn't matter how much, if you have too much attention on the upcoming questions, I have to wonder how much you're listening to my answers. (laughs) Well, that's why I couldn't remember it, because I paid so much attention to what you were saying. (laughs) But it sounds like you remember, so what is it? So, what about... Is is doing a quiet title action would that avoid having to deal with the uh, with the title companies? No, in fact, oh. it would drag them. In, you'd have to drag them into it as an interested party. But you can't. You don't have the basis for a quiet title, and unless you demand they release all interest in that uh, title to the property, and they refuse, then you've got grounds for a quiet title. Okay. So would they... uh... In other words, quiet title is a lawsuit. And a lawsuit, the courts can't have no jurisdiction over it unless there's a controversy to be settled. And if you have no evidence of a controversy, um, (laughs) they're going to dismiss your uh, suit. there's There's no quarrel. There's no contest. There's no controversy. Well... So first you have to establish the controversy by making a formal demand in writing on the title company or title companies to release their interest in that title. Then if they refuse, now you've got grounds, now you have a controversy, now you've got grounds for quiet title suit. So so is the action that I need to take to uh, after finding out whatever title companies have been involved in this land to send them a request to release their interest in this land? I would phrase it as a notice and demand. Uh, But you are agreeing that that is something that I will need to do. Yeah, I would recommend that. Okay. I I think I'll stop right there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let that you, simmer for well, a I, week. I've been, throwing, I've been throwing a lot of stuff at you tonight. Uh, maybe really? it's too much. Yeah, it's maybe it's too much. Do you need an antiacid or something? <laughs> <laughs> I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Hand me the bottle, hon. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Genevieve, if you have, uh, you need antiacid, a half teaspoon of baking soda and a quarter glass of water before bed. <laughs> it's really good for you. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Balances your right. body's alkalinity. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, Monty, thank you for another interesting weekend. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> thank you, Monty. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that may incriminate me. Yeah. All right. I think we're going to call that one a a night. Oh, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your help, I guess, Monty. (laughs) Okay. And Tad, of course. You too, Genevieve. All right. Good night. And, yeah, and just so everybody, I'll remind everybody, I'm going to post, I'm going to send that thing on the Montana Freeman for posting to uh, Tad. So. Oh, great. Thank you. You can find that in the website, in the okay. member section, the monthly membership. Thanks. All okay. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks, Genevieve. All right, Marnie, I'm going to go ahead and call it a night. All right. So thank you for joining us. And everybody else, thank you to Arizona John. Thank you. Thank you and, all. Uh, we'll catch yeah, we'll catch up with you guys next week. Good night. Good night. God bless.